Hello and welcome to Actually Best Choice Movies, the world's only movie podcast. I am one of the two hosts of the show. Uh, my name is Chris Chapin. And I am two of the one hosts, Caleb Shively. Flipped it on you. That's very, uh, Caleb, as I feel like I am often saying to you, that was very aggressive. I feel like you're really coming for me with that introduction. Hey, you gotta start the show off with a nice little hit. Uh, that's how you play football. You get hit first and then you play football. <laughs> That is how you play. Before you ever go onto a football field, the coach walks into the locker room, punches every single player in the face, and then he looks did, them yeah. dead in the eye and he says, now you're ready to play football. Yeah, you have a, a helmet on, face mask, so it's fine. Uh, so every week on Actually Best Choice Movies, we tell you about two movies. One of them is old, one of them is new, and they're related in this like inexorable way that you can't escape. No matter how hard you want to escape it, you just, you cannot escape the way they're related. Uh, would would you agree, Caleb? Uh, I would agree with that statement, yes. <laughs> All right, so great, thank you. That added a lot, and I appreciate it. This week, we're talking about uh, two films, two inescapable horror films. It's She Dies Tomorrow from 2020, directed by Amy Simetz, and then It Follows from 2014, directed by David Robert Mitchell. Yes. Yes, I it sounded like I wasn't going to get there, but then I got there. So You had that pause, and I was, I was ready to pounce. I could feel that you were ready to pounce. I honestly could feel it. David Robert Mitchell. David Robert Mitchell. David Robert Mitchell. It's David Robert Mitchell. Yeah, okay. yeah, right. So that's all this week on Actually Best Choice. Movies. Movies. But before we get to any of that, this week we're talking about what, Caleb? Indie horror movies? Indie horror. It's, 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 a, it's a great tradition, the indie horror. Uh, I mean, if you look, go as far back at Night, uh, Night of the Living Dead, I mean, the most it's iconic. An indie movie. What can you say? That's an indie yeah, movie. Yeah, uh, sure. iconic horror movies. Uh, Halloween, Friday the 13th, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, completely low budget. And like the whole idea of indie horror is that uh, these aren't studios, so they got more leeway to do cool ass shit. Right. Uh, is the idea that it's like, a serious studio doesn't want to invest in like a bunch of teenagers like murdering each other like really grossly like they there's that but aspect you... too of like them holding back and there's also the aspect of of the budget as well which means uh, a filmmaker has to be more creative and uh really just save their budget for a certain shot or just you know uh be creative as filmmaker as being fun filmmakers get to do uh, be being creative and uh, shoot around or think of cool ideas, which I think well, like the evil dead movies. Think of those. Yeah. Like those are like indie movies that were made for like $15. Right. I mean, oh, for sure. Yeah. There was just this time in cinema. I mean, I guess from the late seventies to the mid to late eighties where like horror movies, like were the thing everyone wanted to make. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. if you were like a hot young director, you had like a cool idea about how to stab somebody. Like that was your, like, mm -hmm. that was like a main, let's say that was, it wasn't like exclusively obviously, but there that was an accepted pathway for like young directors. Right. Oh yeah. I feel like that still exists today. Um, I mean, think of recently in the, there's even like prestige directors working in the indie horror a genre we have uh look at the a24 filmography of like hereditary oh, yeah. or the witch robert eggers and 
Ari Aster there. Even the Suspira remake was kind of horror, even though it's Luca. Nicholas Winding Refn, who I always like to talk sure, about. Sure. Like, yeah, he makes horror movies, I guess. Like Neon Demon is like a horror movie, basically. Oh, yeah, yeah. For speaking of modern horror movies and indie budgets like that, uh, uh, Jason Bloom. Uh, oh, well, sure, I mean, yeah. Insane how that uh, he runs Bloomhouse uh, production and they're hugely successful. Uh, they got hugely successful off the back of uh, Paranormal Activity, I think was their first big one in like 2009. Uh, they made like, that movie was crazy cheap because it's just moving a door slightly. Uh, and they made like six of those movies and they're, they were made for like less than like $20,000 the first one or something like that. And then they also got to do that with the Insidious and the Purge movies, which are also kind of cheap. Uh, and then, you know, Bloomhouse went on to do success and still like, off wait, the- wait, wait, can I interrupt here to yeah, talk about the tweet that I sent you guys yesterday? <laughs> like, like a tweet? Yeah. Uh, Jason, uh, Jason Blum tweet. Yeah. It's so stupid. It's really great. So I follow him on Twitter and he put out, he does this dumb thing sometimes. So he put up this thing where he wrote in, in marker on Bloomhouse stationery. To whom it may concern, I endorse making November 3rd a national holiday and excusing all work absences because nothing is scarier than not being able to vote. <laughs> wow. I love it. I love it so much. I love it because it's like something the Crypt Keeper would say or it's like something from like an MTV ad from the 90s. <laughs> like there's nothing scarier than not being able to vote. <laughs> uh, it's I, stupid. It's, stupid. it's it honestly inspired and I really love it. He's still like... Bloomhouse, like they have their fingers in horror, so like they still allow cool things to happen. Like they did, they do Jordan Peele's movies. He got an Oscar nomination for Get Out, and uh, he helped produce Black Klansman too, which is not a horror movie, but still that it's cool that he's involved in that stuff. He did the Halloween remake, uh, Invisible Man from earlier this year. Uh, that yeah, he knows talent. Uh, he's a very good producer, uh, one of the most important producers of the last twenty years somehow, off of the back of the Paranormal Activity. <laughs> I mean, uh, those were those were such a big phenomenon, though. I mean, remember those were in like one of the scary, one of the later scary movies, right? Was just basically a paranormal activity ripoff. I assume so. I I, I tapped out after uh, three or four on the scary movie run. <laughs> yeah, that's probably that's probably a good idea. In yeah. all honesty, that probably is pretty smart. Those aren't indie horror movies. Um, yeah, we should talk about the Blair Witch a little bit too, which is another one was made for six six cents, I believe. Like it was like six or ten cents. <laughs> Caleb, did you think the Blair Witch was real? Like, completely, please be honest with me. Did you think the Blair Witch was real? Uh, at first, yes, I did. <laughs> yeah. I was uh, yeah. in sixth grade. It was, it was summer before sixth grade. Uh, and yeah, marketing got hit me. I was in high school. Um, I, I knew it wasn't real. Like, I knew that it was fake. But I had, definitely had that feeling of like... But what if it's not, <laughs> you know, like, like I knew for sure. It's like when you think like maybe a vampire is going to eat you when you are taking out the trash, you're like, definitely that's not going to happen. But like, oh my God, what if it did? Like, I remember, uh, I didn't see it in theaters. I remember renting the VHS and my sister was like super scared to see it. Uh, so I was like, I'll watch it. Let's watch it together, which we never like, we didn't get along. So it was, we rewatched this movie together. <laughs> it was uh, at night. I remember she was super scared. I remember watching it and being, wait, kept waiting to be scared. Like, no, nothing's happening here. Oh, they're finding oh God, sticks. I can in just pile. imagine what like a teenage shithead you were like being like, this movie's not even scary. <laughs> I wanted to be scared. I think that's uh, probably a developmental movie of not me, not being scared. But so wait, were you not scared? You no, didn't think it was scary? Not at all. You didn't at all think that Blair Witch was scary when you were like 12 years old. No, I didn't, yeah. Oh my God, Caleb, come on, dude. I mean, 
I quit being scared of movies around like 10, 11, 12. Yeah. Oh, what are you talking about? I'm not scared of movies. You I haven't think. been scared of a movie since you were 10 I mean, years some, old. Sometimes you know, something will get me, but for the most part, I never get scared anymore. I mean, it's a, uh, uh, it's a movie. <laughs> I mean, I understand that, but the whole point of it is like, yeah. you know, you suspend your disbelief and you get emotionally involved, you know? Uh, you know, I always pick out when, uh, you know, I like breaking down film as what we have a podcast for. Oh <laughs> so I that, cannot, uh, I literally cannot believe what I'm hearing that you have not been frightened. Like, I think it's, we have it on tape. If you listen to old episodes where I'd be like, yeah, that was kind of mm-hmm. like, I, I know what, when it's scary, I could get, uh, I recognize that like, oh, that's what a normal feeling of scary is to people. But for me, it's just like, oh, that's cool. Or like, oh, I see what they're doing. That's interesting how filmmaking is. <laughs> Do you, feel, do you feel this way about a lot of emotions, Caleb, or is it just this one? I mean, there's all types of emotions, man. They're all pretty cool, especially those weird and sad ones. And the yeah, uncomfortable yeah. well, ones I'm good. saying, do you actually experience them, or do you just like recognize when they're happening? Like, uh, you know, uh, I'm supposed to go to therapy, meaning to start therapy <laughs> for the past five or six years. Okay, I don't mean to press you. I don't mean to press you on this. Um, I just felt like we were like really close to a breakthrough there. Like, you know. <laughs> I am dead inside. Before we get into it, I just like to shout out. Uh, I tried to convince Chris to do some mumble gore movies. She dies tomorrow. The first movie that we're doing, the new movie, uh, is directed by Amy Simons, and that came from uh, she's from uh, the series of filmmakers who uh, were called Mumblecore. And uh, within Mumblecore, which is a stupid name, I always say. I think it's just uh, close filmmakers who liked Eric Romare and John Cassavetes' movies uh, were influenced by them. Uh, but, you know, they're all of New York and they all work, work with the same actors. Uh, but there's a horror within Mumblecore called Mumble Gore. Uh, and those movies are fucking awesome, too. Uh, Amy Simons herself uh, acts in them. She was in Adam Weingard's uh, Horrible Way to Die and Adam Weingard's in uh, She Dies Tomorrow. Uh, Adam Weingard makes some great movies. I tried to get Chris to do your next, but he's... Uh, too much of a baby. I think I described to you oh a piano God. wire scene, and you're like, "That's intense, dude." But yeah. Oh, I do remember this. Yeah. Yes, yeah, uh, no, I didn't want to do that. T. West's House of the Devil. Uh, T. West's a great uh, horror filmmaker of the last 10, 15 years. Uh, even Mark Duplass did. Uh, the Duplass brothers did a movie called Baghead, and uh, Mark was in the movie Creep. Don't make it sound like I didn't want to do Baghead. That we didn't even discuss doing Baghead. No, no. Um, no. That's that's like that. Like, I'll admit with the other one, the piano. But that yeah. was like we thought of doing these movies because they're related mm-hmm. to each other. But then we, ex- you know, we did. Uh, we're doing it follows because it's a great other. Uh, like we mentioned, all those prestige films. I mean, A twenty four and did so many of these that uh, I believe it. No, I don't think A twenty four did. It follows, but it follows did premiere at Cannes, uh, and there is like a you know did that, it really? It was a huge hit. I mean, that's yeah, yeah. You know. and there is like we said, like that huge. Uh, tradition of just good filmmakers doing things like uh, Hitch- Hitchcock made Psycho was like his most maybe his pop most popular but it was one of his most profitable movies but he made that for like less than a million dollars and that grossed over like 50 million dollars or something like that uh, so it is a great tradition of you could be a good filmmaker uh, and just get those good scares out and then it'll scare people and you'll make a bunch of money which I think yeah, it follows. I'm looking at it right now. Uh, two mi- two million dollar budget, and it got uh, twenty five in cult status. Do you want to um? Do you want to talk about these uh, movies that we're going to talk about? Yeah, she dies tomorrow. She dies tomorrow. That's our first movie. I am going to die tomorrow. Amy, what is going on? 
is not tomorrow for me. Horror movie by way of thought experiment, She Dies Tomorrow, was set to premiere at this year's South by Southwest, but that was all canceled due to COVID-19. The film, directed by indie darling Amy Simetz, has more in common with that defining story of 2020 in that all the characters stare death blankly in the face. As one person in the movie realized that they could die tomorrow, they then become convinced they are going to die tomorrow. And not only that, the same thought process is then spread like a virus to each character we're introduced to. Produced by equally heady filmmakers Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead, whose films include The Endless and Spring, Simons' second feature film taps into anxiety by blatantly telling its characters and the audience itself the irrevocable fact, you will die someday. Chris, you will die someday. Yeah, it's true. So this movie, I mean, I think, you know, Amy Simetz is a great filmmaker and there's been a lot of press about, you know, this, you know, obviously she was with this filmmaker, Shinka Ruth, and apparently they had an abusive relationship and she was able to separate herself from Shane. And a lot of stuff about this came out around the time of the release of this movie. And it definitely colors the way you see this movie. I mean, the main character's name is Amy and it's basically about her just being super depressed and hanging out in this and, you know, seeming like a person for whom money isn't a problem. Exactly. Like she seems to have plenty of money and stuff and like a beautiful house, but she's like, seems like catastrophically depressed. (laughs) And the movie kind of starts with, it's a character like screaming and breaking some stuff. And then it's like, she's on her own somewhere. Um, It was for me, you know, easy to read that as being like, you know, she's left this abusive relationship, which I don't know if that is what's supposed to be happening textually in the movie, but it was hard not to think about that. And then it's basically like all her friends are trying to cheer her up and, you know, she, but she's just like wandering around the house in a dress that it looks like she wore to an awards show once, like getting like amazingly drunk and just staring at stuff. Then it, then it, right. Then the plot kind of kicks in where she's spreading this idea of, uh, that you're going to die tomorrow. And, and uh, it's funny because it's signaled with like these very over the top, like lights. It's like, is it red and blue lights? I red think and blue and flashing strobes. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's basically like, it's almost like in a Quentin Tarantino movie when they are referencing old Kung Fu movies. And there's like a sting of like, zong, zong, zong. Yeah. it's like, it's pretty funny. Yeah. This movie I felt was inherently comic. Uh, and just that the premise is inherently comic. It's uh, the idea that if they pause long enough to think about their death and they're paralyzed by that do- knowledge that they will die someday, uh, that's like just keeps happening to, so often. And, it, and there's like maybe a supernatural element that it might be like a, a virus that spreads, but like taken for what it is, it just people just start thinking about death and they just realize, oh no, that's death. It's simultaneously kind of funny and also super depressing too. Like incredibly, Uh, incredibly depressing. And so it's like a, like that simple premise of just like, Oh, a character realizes something, uh, but it's deep in the sense that they actually uh, draw it out that it's the instant instantaneous acknowledgement of your death. And they actually give that proper shrift in a way. They give it proper shrift. I don't think I've ever heard anyone say that before. Like, as opposed to short shrift, they're giving it the proper shrift. Yeah, man. Proper shrift. I've, that's, I mean, that's genius. Honestly, Caleb, that's genius. I would never, ever have thought to have said that in a million years. (laughs) There's like one, two. Proper shrift. If you can give something short shrift, obviously you can give it proper shrift. Yeah, no. 
there's like eight characters in this movie. Maybe no, there's like t- eight or ten characters. No, no, no I'm keep adding more. I'm thinking about, it. but every one just has this realization, and they all have like different ways to take it into. Obviously, right. the Amy character uh, played by Caitlin Shiel, uh gets the first one, introductory one, and there's like a sense of alcoholism too, and as a yeah. sense of um, uh, a person who comes to her who asks her about it. There, uh, this movie does play with that sense of. Uh, someone who has like a mental illness or something wrong with them in that no one, the person's not understanding them. Uh, and I think that uh, gets passed along to Jane Adams, who has that same right. Jane Adams, who's great in the movie. She's yeah. Great. So she passes on to Jane Adams and Jane Adams re- has the realization. And then she goes to a, a party with four people. And, just and she like, shows up in her pajamas and it's like a, so it's like a, a rich people in LA's birthday party, but it's also like very small <laughs> It's for yeah. this woman who is being a jerk to everyone. But you realize she basically there's only four people there, five people, including the woman whose birthday it is. Mm-hmm. One of them's her partner. And then the other two people she hates. <laughs> you're like, you're like, wow, well, this woman must suck. Yeah. I mean, well, just so this part is where the movie kind of, I think, veers starts- into a little bit of like, it's almost in this kind of like Boonwell territory where it's like, sure it's all these rich people who lead these thoughtless lives. And it's the horror element is like reality intruding on them in some way, them realizing that they're going to die. Right. And it's people live in these like vapid lives and they don't want to hear about anything that might be like a bummer. (laughs) You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And you can definitely think like, well, these are just the people you would know in Hollywood. If you were like at the successful at the level, Amy is successful where you're like, you know, you have to spend a lot of time with people like this, but you're like, these people like are fucking making me lose my mind. <laughs> like, you know? Yeah. Uh, and then to just, just take that step back and think about like, Oh, they're all going to die. And then just have them, right, them yeah. realize it themselves too. That horrible thought you have about them. Not even necessarily a horrible thought, just a right. actual thought. Just the true yeah. fact. Right. Yeah. And she makes this into a horror movie with her filmmaking. And also the initial idea that, this might be true. You could fact check me here. All horror movies are about death. Like you're going to die. You will <laughs> well, die I think like movie. death, death is involved. <laughs> death let's yeah. say yeah. Like, someone is dying yeah. or is dead already, or like something is going on in that space for sure. Yeah. yeah. So they take like that, which the, the big broad uh, idea of death and tackle it in a very uh, esoteric way. And they do that. Like, uh, I think the filmmaking is really good. Uh, like there's a lot of uh, classic score, uh, and she always cuts it off too. And sometimes she cuts it yeah. off. It's, it was kind of funny. And like you said, mentioned that strobe lighting is very horror. Even like the opening credits and the, there's like the uh, under a microscope uh, biomes going through. Uh, yeah, it's almost like it almost reminds me of uh, something like the Suspiria remake from last year. Sure. The, 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 the way the titles are, where it's just like dong, and you see the titles, and then they go away, and that's the end of the, of the opening titles. You know? Yeah. Yeah, and just that, yeah, she does a good job of just building uh, the anxiety with all the, all those techniques she uses. Uh, gifted filmmaker, I was a fan of her first film. Oh, uh, Sun Don't Shine. Sun Don't Shine, yeah, which also starred yeah. Caitlin, Sheila, and Ken- Kentucker Aldley is in both these movies as well. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I'll talk yeah, about yeah. Caitlin Sheila for, for a second. I'm a huge Caitlin Sheila fan. I, I first noticed her in uh, Rick Alverson's The Comedy, where she had a seizure, and it's only like a couple of seconds. And then, like, I was getting into, like, a lot of, like, New York filmmaker stuff. And she was a person who kept popping up all the time. I was like, oh, okay, I, sh- I definitely need to know this actress's name. And still to this day, I keep catching her 
uh, in things. She was in Brigsby Bear, a movie I know you like. Oh, I love Brigsby Bear. You know I love yeah, that movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, she's in all of Alex Ross Perry's movies. Uh, I always think that's cool. Yeah, so I mean, the thing to say about the style of this movie is, uh, I mean, in a certain way, it reminds me of like melancholia because it's like yeah, a movie where it kind of veers between this kind of disconnected visual poetry that doesn't like necessarily make like linear sense. And then this kind of like scenes where there are like regular people having regular dialogue, but it's like kind of heightened a little bit, but then it's, you know, it kind of goes back and forth. Like melancholy is obviously very neatly divided into like the first half is, you know, one thing. And the second half is a completely different thing. Mm -hmm. This is, it's more kind of like spiced between, but it definitely was, was reminding me of that because there are lots of scenes, you know, where, it's 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 very it can be unclear what's happening and it's an interesting t- filmmaking technique and i think amy is of this school like uh barry jenkins you know who she's friends with like who are also a florida person you know it's this kind of early 2000s digital filmmaking this kind of like the dawn of we can just shoot everything and then we can edit it together later and we can make this kind of visual poetry and i think that her and barry are both like really big examples of this kind of filmmaking of course you know <laughs> yeah you know whatever yeah amy like right we went to the same fake film school like amy and i went to the same film school but like obviously she's been very successful and i'm very happy for her um but yeah this was like the aesthetic of the time this is the aesthetic of the time is this kind of like this digital filmmaking like shoot everything edit it together and i and i love that she is doing it and i think it's a really vital kind of kind of filmmaking and you don't see it all that often and i and i think that this movie is a great example of it within even the mumblecore film like they all, it was shot on film i remember that was a big deal when joe swanberg switched over to digital uh which yeah, is right. just means he just shot a lot more that's when he started actually working with uh more uh improv actors too which is you know, you know it's similar that. to mumblecore stuff like what you were talking about like but i was saying mumblecore is like you know very new york focused mm-hmm. uh and amy was like, making movies in florida actually for a long time uh, and, you know, obviously in Barry Jenkins, too, like Moonlight is like takes place in Florida, you know, like there is something there is a little bit different what they're doing than what Mumblecore is doing, because Mumblecore is kind of more like it's a little bit more talky, I feel like. And it's almost more like it's like they're not really skilled filmmakers as such. Do you know what I mean? Like they're they're like writers was... and directors, but they're not like it's not like a film in the same way that like where Amy and Barry are trying very hard to be like like use visual language, you know? Yeah, I, I get what you mean. And I think there are Mumblecore directors uh, who do that, I think, in a very underrated sense. Uh, Andrew Bajalski's earlier films. Uh, and even Joe yeah. Swanberg has some experimental stuff. But I think with the sense of Mumblecore, they always try to talk out ideas. Like you said, they're dialogue heavy, but they always like center the, their dialogue around an idea. And I think in the sense that this movie does that is about uh, the characters, when they realize their death, they... Uh, upon realizing their death, they just have this uh, slow reveal of their true personalities uh, and like a lot of like what they want to do, what motivates them comes out. Uh, so that I feel comes out in this movie uh, in the sense of, uh, I'm going to hate the term mumblecore, but in the sense of uh, the, her filmmaking style with those other people that make films. <laughs> yes. Very well put Kayla. Very succinctly put. Yeah, exactly. In doing so, and like as we keep meeting characters, and we get to keep seeing that realization of like what the, what was important to them, you can see what it grapples with. I think something everyone in their life deals with is what it means to waste your life, uh, in a, to a degree. Like, uh, 
you just like sit like, oh wait, this this is what I did, and, and it's very depressing. But it, I find it very interesting. Like I said, I kind of I call this film a thought experiment, and it's just so weird to like. If, and there's probably so many other characters they they could have went out and just as all people are different uh, to just you know like one person had went and killed their dad right away. <laughs> uh, yeah, and that couple also yeah. killed right away. Yeah, there's just a lot of just. Oh wait, I better get my Well, it is. Ready. It's a motivator, right? Like it makes you just think like, well, I guess we should only do the stuff we want to do and we should be like really honest with ourselves and like try to, you know, if if you really realize that your time on earth is limited, it's the number one motivator to accomplish things. You can't just like sit around and wait for stuff to happen, right? Yeah. Um so that that some characters in the movie take it like that, like these these couple, this couple that you're talking about, this is how they take it. They like immediately take care of all the things they've been meaning to take care of, like that second, and they're and they take care of them all in about an hour, yeah. you know. And it's like, I mean, I, I I would hope I react that way, but I think I more get depressed, and I I more turn into. Uh, I mean, melancholy. The other way it's related is that it's it's about like the reality of death, you know, yeah. <laughs> um, like I, uh, how uh, Kiefer Sutherland acts in that movie when he like has to when he realizes he's going to die, like he's just like really depressed and then he killed himself. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, that seems more identifiable to me. But, you know, it would also be good <laughs> if, you, if you reacted in a positive yeah. way. I think that is a little bit of a spoiler. I didn't want I, I just we could cut that out. But I think that one. Uh, the guy who initially gets it, who enters the pizza door, when she comes back to visit the house, it looks like he killed himself, which I thought was cool. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's like a huge sense. The sense of dread is so big in this movie, uh, this existential dread. I think as that expands, the plot really doesn't too much. Uh, and I, you kind of get lost in that, but I think that's You the can vibe. get a little lost. I, I, I agree with you. You can get a little lost. To go movie. for, too, because as these characters are lost, these characters are searching for meaning. Uh, like a person who's lost doesn't make sense so like you get a lot of just like weird detached dialogue and it's uh hard to latch on to but it's also like super funny i think uh i'll, I'll shout out caitlin shiel again who uh <laughs> takes it takes this detachment of knowledge of death and decides she wants to be turned into a leather jacket <laughs> yes she gets obsessed with being turned into a leather jacket i mean it's almost like that movie deerskin that we did yeah, a while I, I ago totally thought of that, yeah. yeah but she for some reason she gets obsessed with being turned into a leather jacket to the point that she's like going out and trying to find someone that will turn her into a leather jacket <laughs> it's very weird but it also just kind of feels like the character has to have some kind of motivation at that point <laughs> do you know what i mean yeah. like so you have to have some kind of positive desire in the world otherwise it's like it's kind of run its that's course. That's you don't see coming. That's some fun writing to do. Like, eh, she could turn something Because she wants to be useful. She decides she wants to be useful. <laughs> there is like, uh, like it's, that's, I think that's inherently funny. There's some other just things that I thought I just, I laughed out loud at. Um, like she realized she's dying and her, she's talking on the phone with her friend and her friend's trying to calm her down. And her friend just, oh no, just, you know, take a walk, watch a movie or something. And she just says, a movie is an hour and a half. <laughs> uh, i was like wow that is fun i don't know if that's meta enough i just really like that i'm gonna uh, remember that for a long time the movie is an hour and a half that's so funny <laughs> yeah man I, I think it made me think of all the times i wasted all the <laughs> 18 hour days I spent the movie's an hour and a half <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty good. I mean, some of the dialogue scenes are pretty good. Yeah, I mean, you find yourself maybe at certain points wishing there was a little bit more of that kind of stuff, like the characters relating to each other, because in some of the scenes, the people relate to each other really well. 
Um, but that is not really the mission that the movie is on. Uh, and then sometimes like they, you, they're about to reach. Well, I think I'm thinking of Jane Adams and uh, her scene with a doctor played by Josh Lucas. Oh my God. Oh, I love Josh it's Lucas. so weird. It's so uh, weird. Where she's, you feel like they're about to like have this really breakthrough relationship as he's realizing he's going to die too. Uh, and they just realize, no, I got to go see my wife. But yeah. There's just so much like weird, funny, off kilter stuff but then just i mean it's almost like at a certain point it becomes like a it's like a it's like a ray gun that the people get shot with like they you know you're talking you know it's it's almost like the movie becomes this exercise in uh just imagining different people you meet in your life and if you could like zap them with the like you're really gonna die someday uh ray gun and have them see how they would react like that's kind of what it turns into like you're having a regular conversation and then all of a sudden the red and blue lights flash and it you know they're like oh and, you know, you just get to see what they would do if they really thought about it. You know, sure, it's like sure. pretty silly. It's like pretty silly, but it doesn't exactly play it like it's silly, but no, it kind of does, you know, but it kind uh, of does. But also not. It walks that line so well. Uh, I think it kind of needs to for a sense of uh, relief. We get I always talk when I talk about horror, I talk about the sense of relief you get because well, for it, you, it's sexual climax at watching people get murdered. Isn't that like <laughs> you're. No, man. Uh, I think that's the whole thing about being scared. You, why we get like being scared is because that right after moment of being like, oh, that's over. That's a, a high people chase. Wait, I'm sorry. Can you explain that again? What are you talking about? When you're, uh, the moment right after you're scared is you get to be relieved. It's a, 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 a study has no. been done. I've, I've seen I thought it. you meant I thought you meant after you watch someone get murdered, you thought like, oh, well, now it's over. No, <laughs> I wasn't quite sure. Scared. Okay, yeah, being scared, it's over. Yeah, 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 that's true. No, you're totally right. I don't know. Do you have anything else you want to say about this movie? I did like it a lot. It's, you know, kind of my vibe of a fun movie. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> to be clear, when you hear Caleb say that, you know that it is not fun. Like as as an objective observer, I will tell you, it's not fun. Like it is a good film, but it's not fun. <laughs> it's definitely not. I had a, I had a good time. <laughs> Oh my god, it's just I'm just worried about you. I'm just worried about you. I, I appreciate that. Okay, so the next movie we're gonna do this week is 2014's It Follows. This thing it's gonna follow you. Somebody gave it to me. And I passed it to you. Wherever you are, it's somewhere walking straight for you. All you can do is pass it along to someone else. It Follows is the 2014 indie horror movie from uh, writer-director David Robert Mitchell, who went on to make Under the Silver Lake, which I hated. I loved. <laughs> I know you did. You loved it. I hated it. Um, so the concept of the movie is it got a lot of press for this. It won a lot of awards. It was put on a lot of year-end best lists, best of the decade list, best horror movies of all time lists. The concept of the movie is like it's a sexually transmitted demon, you know, like imagine ring. But instead of uh, a videotape, it's fucking, you know, that's <laughs> it follows like it's like you have sex with someone and then there's some kind of crazy monster coming to kill them. And if you have sex with someone else, then you pass on the monster to someone else. And like this is the plot of the movie. I, I, I will say I had not seen this movie. I had seen all the press about it and I have seen the, you know, the poster for it a million times. Uh, I, I obviously knew what it was about and I had read a lot about it, but I, I hadn't seen it, you know, so I was very surprised by the extent to which it is like a teen horror movie and the extent to which it, um, prioritizes jump scares, <laughs> I would say, right. Um, I was not expecting that I was expecting something a lot 
deeper than this movie because of the press that it got. And because it, it is true, it's an influential movie. And the reason we picked it is because it's directly related to uh, She Dies Tomorrow. And the, the idea of like this kind of like transmittable horror. Uh, and it's very relevant today as we sit, you know, locked in our houses, worried about breathing in the same room as someone else. You know, it is this it is a modern concept. It's a new kind of horror movie. And you can say it was invented by It Follows and she dies tomorrow is one of many movies that are in its wake uh caleb what what did you think about this movie uh i saw it twice in theaters and it's one of those movies that like i just ends up always watching again i end up watching it. i've probably seen it without even trying like five or six times i i think it's uh with all of david roberts mitchell's i think he puts filmmaking foremost at his uh his uh he's just a very good widescreen filmmaker uh so his nose studies film obviously puts all these horror tropes in his movie and he embolds them by uh, being just great filmmaker, film techniques. Uh, not uh, That alone, like that talent of emboldening your genre and the fact that he was a synth, synth score for this movie is very John Carpenter to me. Um, like uh, the stalking presence, that's very Halloween. Um, well, it is. It's a very referential horror movie, right? I mean, it's 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 like everything. It's like John Carpenter. It's like Steven Spielberg. I mean, he spends a lot of uh, watching this movie from the perspective of 2020. I was, you know, it was it was I, I feel like I will never again see a movie that is thoughtlessly set in rich white suburbia with like absolutely no diversity and just being like, yeah, this is what this movie, like this is where this movie takes place. <laughs> this movie takes place in a rich white suburb and all these people are rich white kids and deal with it, <laughs> you know, like, and it, it's not even thinking about it for a second. Um, but I mean, it is, that's like Spielbergian, right? It's like all of the movies of the eighties just very thoughtlessly were set in rich white suburbs and it didn't, nobody gave it a second thought. And I feel like this movie is, does that also, you know, I don't want to, you know, very successfully, I want to say like, it just is, it just is in that universe and it conjures that universe very, very well. And it does, if you're someone of my age, it takes you back to movies from the eighties and it's pleasant. It's a pleasant experience. Yeah, what can you uh, say? It's a lot of nostalgia and it's nostalgia to a degree, uh, but it's not, the nostalgia is not the front and center aspect of it. Uh, they do like a it's lot kind of, of like of, setting the mood. It's kind of like setting the mood. They do a lot of just uh, timelessness stuff too. Uh, one that the sense of they all watch old horror movies, and then there's a thing where uh, they have like landlines, but that one person has like a scrolling device for to read a book. So it's like undefined technology, which I think works. And then, like I said, it's the filmmaking that really gets. Wait, are you saying that it's like it was kind of set in an indeterminate time period? Yeah, like she they had like old uh, boxy TVs, but she had like a handheld device to read that book that she's yeah it is it's very oh yeah she had it was like shaped like a clamshell i was like is this a real thing that exists is this movie like set in the future like what is going on it was like she had a tiny plastic pink compact shaped like a clamshell but she was like reading books on it all constantly i was like that's really cool i would love to have that that would be great it's like yeah i think also with the costuming it makes it uh, the costuming, that production design. Uh, it's that uh, way that like Batman, the animated series is like set in the thirties sort of, you know, like it's like, except that it, when it's fun to have computers for some reason, like otherwise it's in a different time period. Yeah. It's a fun filmmaking, filmmaking thing. Uh, Christian Petzold did that with his last movie that I liked the transit, the movie transit, hmm. which I was a big fan of. Uh, anyway, did not, uh, did not see it. Did not see it. Caleb did not see it. Yeah, so the premise is like there's a lot of 
something sneaking up behind you, something's getting closer. And yeah. this is the use of, uh, he uses a lot of off screen and uh, background. Uh, the background is like a whole thing in this movie. Uh, yeah, it's this thing camera, of horror. It's the thing of horror movies where like, as soon as you can't see behind, outside of the person's face, you know there's some danger outside of their face. So it, the whole movie is playing with that of like, making you very nervous and like sometimes something happens and sometimes something doesn't, you know, it just makes you very, really uh, keeps you on edge audience member. Uh, Cause you have to, that uh, it's established that things are coming for you slowly and uh, it's walking right at you. And so that happens in the scene. There's a scene where she goes and gets a yearbook and they just show something walking and the, the camera just doesn't stop. It's just slowly making 360. It goes around twice and the th- there's like something in the background just gets closer and closer. And then the film just cuts away without the characters ever acknowledging it. Uh, and then there's always that going on in the background. Uh, like uh, they're at the beach, her friends floating in the water behind her. And then they cut and then you see the friend again behind her, but as the ghoul, which now is a good transition to talk about how cool this ghoul is because it's a good villain. Uh, it can appear anywhere in any guise and it's always yeah, right. coming. It's just walking slowly at you. They say at the beginning when they're explaining the rules, he's like, uh, it's slow, but it's not stupid. <laughs> I was like, that's cool. That's a good way. That's a good way to talk about it's it. Not it's not stupid. It does pay off what it is. Uh, I, I love the explaining the rules scene. I think that's one of the better horror scenes, uh, very iconic horror scene almost. Uh, uh, it's the scene where she, uh, after she has sex with the guy who gives her the it follows, uh, right. she ties her to a wheelchair to explain it. It's a static shot, but he also incorporates a lot of. Uh, he tied the um, camera to the wheelchair to, to just the wheelchair get shot. Yeah. Uh, I mean, to the wheelchair to get like all the wheelchair shots to his tracking. So they got this camera locked on the wheelchair, and what could be a very like basic like I'm just explaining the rules scene. Uh, it gets elevated from the mon- it one it actually happening the the it follows is coming to get her coming out together as she's freaking out and learning about this as we are. I thought it was very, very cool. And it's, it's also great too. Cool. It's yeah. it's great too because the guy who has had sex with her and given her it follows, he has this really funny energy the whole time where he keeps going, Look, I'm doing you a favor. This is so you know it's real, okay? He's like, Look, look, do you see? Okay, all right, look, listen. And then he explains the whole thing to her very straightforwardly, and he's like, Okay, all right, goodbye. And then he like runs away. It's weird because he's like a villain to a degree, but he's also like very much truly trying to help her, but also like he's looking out for himself. He's trying to pass on Yeah, right, because he passed on the yeah. thing. And he just and, and, he and tells her what that's what she should do too. And she yeah, tries he's like, to- look, just have sex with somebody as fast as you can have sex with somebody else. Yeah. And, but then it's like, then the movie becomes like, a bit, like that, that encounter becomes a metaphor for sexual assault. Like, oh, yeah, that, for, a like metaphor. for a while, I don't yeah. think it's that way for the whole movie, but it's like for a while, it's a metaphor for sexual assault. The STD metaphor is like very, very prevalent. <laughs> I mean, it's, well, yeah, uh, yeah, definitely. It, but I think it also helps uh, build these care, build the character, uh, the whole, as it is a metaphor, like they just, they're all young adults who have to deal with it. Uh, and there's like a couple like sexual tidbits in the movie, like they go to this old abandoned house and they find dirty magazines literally like but they're like play dude like from the simpsons it's like play Um, dude one of the ghouls is uh uh she was in a sexy nurse costume and had like urine running down her leg so it's like literally from your wet dream this nurse comes out this rancid nurse is appearing from your nightmares now (laughs) god yeah i know uh but it, it gets I don't know. It's a good metaphor. And I think it works for me because it just works as a filmmaking thing. Right. Yeah. yeah. It works as also like a, 
like they're young adults they're not teens they're uh growing up they have to face this thing instead of act running from it that, that, that works as a metaphor uh, there's always like we said in horror movies there's always a fear of death uh a force that also is coming for all, for us slowly <laughs> hmm. but yeah these yeah they're growing up they have to learn to like uh like she ends up pick like there's a a lovelorn best friend who like she ends up getting closer with over the course of the movie the safe bet or like the one that was there for the whole time uh that usually doesn't work for me in movies that cheesy thing yeah, right. like oh that kind of like this is like watching it again i was like oh that kind of works i see that i'm not bothered by that yeah it is funny the movie because it kind of goes through like i was saying a couple phases and i would say the last third or maybe like the last like you know even more than a third it's because it's i know you said they're young adults and not teenagers but i i think they are teenagers aren't they i mean don't they all live in their own don't they all live at home oh she's a college okay um but they're like young people okay you're right they're young people but it it kind of has the energy of like a buffy the vampire slayer like a bunch of like a a gang of teenagers trying to solve the supernatural problem yeah yeah scooby-doo gang yeah like a Scooby-Doo gang kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Like that, the movie kind of turns into that. And that is the end, the whole last section of the movie is the Scooby-Doo gang trying to f- catch a ghost. And I mean, they do at a certain point even throw a sheet over it. So it yeah. is like, looks like a Scooby-Doo ghost, which is kind of fun and funny. Yeah. Because uh, the thing is only the person who is being it follows can see the monster. But And so for a while, the movie's playing with like, is it even real? Is it even, or are these people like somehow putting themselves in danger because they think they're seeing something. But then eventually the movie's like, no, no, it's real. It's real. It's real. Yeah. Uh, once it starts attacking her friends. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think the score got a little bit of its own. The score was from the band disaster piece, I think, which is just one guy. Uh, but it does really add to the whole nostalgia times you know, a good synth score. It's like a John Carpenter score I mentioned earlier, where it's just like, oh, that's just cool. It's just a cool score. It's just, cool. it's just good stuff. Yeah. Um, I wanted to say something else. So I was talking before about how like, you know, Spielberg-ish this movie is in a certain way because of its like intense connection to the suburbs one of the another extremely suburban thing i thought about this movie that you actually don't see as much as you might think in movies given the way that america works is that everyone tries to escape the monster by driving away and the movie definitely portrays the car as a safe space like everyone who gets in a car and drives away then in the next scene they're relaxed but the problem is eventually they get out of the car and then they get murdered you know but yeah, it is a very car positive movie in a way that a lot of movies aren't. It was like, it very much like you could just, it came from this kind of suburban mindset where like, if there is a danger, I will get in the car and drive away and then I will be safe. And like, that's just a very natural, like almost unconscious thought process that people have. And this movie, like multiple times, people drive away from the monster. It happens, it happens constantly. Um, but of course, the monster always finds them. But, you know, they are safe while they are in the car, you know, spoken like a recent car owner, Chris. Yeah, I was thinking about car culture while I was watching it. I definitely was. I was like, this is why people buy fucking cars. And I'm brainwashed by shit like this. I have searched for a car that feels a certain way. Powerful like a gorilla, yet soft and yielding like a Nerf ball. Hey, so Caleb, let's say that if you didn't pick one of these two movies, uh, you would have some kind of weird psychological supernatural thing where you would get gruesomely murdered. 
Uh, which which of them are you gonna pick, brother? Like I said, I she dies tomorrow is definitely like oh that's my jam type shit. Like oh I think that movie's so cool. But I gotta go with it follows here. I think the filmmaking is just so next level. And I, uh, again, big David Mitchell fan. I, I think I'm uh, always looking forward to what he does. But there's just a, a huge timelessness it follows, and I I do think it's a little uh, kids gloves in the sense that like the actors aren't like just they're more directed than acting but you know that's by design uh yeah. I, I do think it's a good lead performance by uh the young girl micah uh micah moore uh fuck i forgot her name Let me look it up no that's the guy that directed roger and me and like bowling for columbine okay, her name is micah monroe i was close <laughs> <laughs> uh micah monroe who was also in uh the guest which i'm a huge fan of as well another synth heavy horror movie directed by uh, adam weingard who i mentioned earlier kind of a timeless one of the great 2000 uh, of the decade probably the if not the best horror movie or the most popular might not be my favorite but i can't deny how fucking great it is now how most people should have seen this movie and it was surprising that you didn't watch it (laughs) yeah i agree it was surprising i had not seen it until now um yeah definitely like amy's a fantastic filmmaker and this is a really important interesting new movie and i think it's very much worth seeing but the way i think about this question usually is like which of these movies would i recommend to somebody who wants to watch a movie and yeah i mean you gotta say it follows right i mean it's just a it's a really fun movie it's well made like i said it's like a bunch of teenagers getting jump scares but it's done like very well you know it's very rare to find a movie like that um so i i also gotta go with it follows as much as i did like uh, she dies tomorrow. I, you know, they're both are but great. they're both great. They're both great. As I often say, see both. Definitely see both. They're completely different movies, even though they have this connection of this like psychological, this like transmissible horror. Um, there, it could not be more different movies in almost every other way. Um, it's to see just how horror movies can work too. Like both very different, uh, but both experimental in their own way as well. Oh, definitely, yeah. Uh, yeah, horror is. Uh, I don't know if it's a malign genre, but uh, people don't watch horror movies. Yeah, they kind of don't respect it, kind of. Yeah, yeah. it's a, it's a. I mean, the Oscars don't respect it. They should. It's it's. They should. Yeah. All these amazing filmmakers came from it, uh, like without even being a huge horror. Well, I guess like The Exorcist and The Shining are respected movies. Like those are movies people like. Yeah. I mean, Get Out and. And get out yeah exactly those are people respect those movies yeah, definitely rosemary's baby yeah exactly all right great well that's the show for this week everybody um thank you so much for listening to these two scary movies they were so scary go hug your loved ones right now go build a big Love fire them. and uh, read your favorite book and stop being so scared yeah uh, you made it through. <laughs> yeah peace good night everybody bye, bye. bye. Let me take a drink of water. Ooh, I don't have water in here. I'll just oh, you got to get some water, dude. Uh, I'll just swallow my spit. <laughs> I've been storing some spit in my swallow cheek. Swallow my spit. Oh, <laughs> disgusting. Okay. Okay. <clears throat>